Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm good. I'm we're, we're developing this. We're developing this new version of the opening where I have to do all the talking right at the start, and it's happened a couple of times where you've 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 bounced it back to me, and I'm like, I'm 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 good. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm not oh, sure I should say how I am. Yeah, yeah. How are you? I'm 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 doing fine. I have nothing to add. Sorry. No worries. I'm I, too I, preoccupied by, uh, by 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 antitrust. Oh, is that so? I I guess we should talk. Well, about we are that we are we are we are recording on Thursday, so I'm actually working on the daily update, which is a, a follow up to the piece for this week. We'll get that to in a moment. First, we want to thank Mailchimp for sponsoring Exponent. They do every week. Mailchimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. Fifty million customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers use Mailchimp to reach customers and grow their business. You can get started for free at Mailchimp.com. And our thanks to them for sponsoring Exponent. Yes, I, it's probably not an appropriate time for an antitrust joke, right? <laughs> I don't think Mailchimp has anything to worry about there. Yeah, I think that's probably right. We can have a conversation about how Gmail handles "quote unquote" promotional emails, which yeah. I'd be happy to to lend my point of view to. Yeah, there we go. So this week was a a frankly a, a really a big deal. I mean, it, it's funny because. I mentioned last week, you know, that the Amazon article was very popular, and in some respects, you know, that Amazon, you know, not just that the article was was good or not good or whatever, but also that Amazon is sort of like it's it's becoming a part of the zeitgeist, like it's almost like the new Apple, and everyone's interested in it, kind of wants to know what's going on. Mm. Th- this uh, a decision by the European Commission about Google search or Google shopping is kind of on the opposite side of that spectrum, I would say, but. I think the potential impact of this is is also a huge deal. It, it, it really is. So, so no traffic records this week, huh? <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm, I'm not. I'm not here to make traffic records. Fortunately, my business model is not depend on traffic records. But without question, antitrust has been a recurring theme, both on Strategy and on Exponent. I think one of our very first episodes, I was saying number six or something like that, was yeah. where we 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 really got into the specific questions that are at play here and that have come up again and again in, in my writing about the sort of paradox of these digital monopolies, where they are so dominant, but that dominance feels, seems from an old world perspective to be so fragile because after all, you could just click the, click on the, click on those uh, different URL and go somewhere else. It's, I think this, I mean, you're, you're, Absolutely right. Obviously, the the topic is not given enough attention, or at least it wasn't way back when we started, and it's starting to come more and more into focus. Like it is impossible to do reasonable analysis about the way that technology is playing out today without thinking through this question, because for all the reasons we've talked about, and so many of the reasons you've written about, reasons like aggregation theory, it is going to be the case that more and more accrues to the winners. And thinking through how we respond as a society and how and seeing how various societies respond to that fact is going to be critical to actually predicting the way that tech plays out because I think this is going to come thicker and faster as we as we move further ahead and folks are thinking players like Amazon players like Google are sure bets because they get ahead for technical reasons and for business model reasons and what I think people fail to appreciate is that there's actually there is potential for a backlash there's a potential for backlash exactly like what happened with the European Union and the fine that they levied is not small fry either 
Well, it, it, yeah, it's the largest fine ever um, by a significant amount. I believe the largest previous fine was $1.2 billion. I believe it was $1.2 billion and then about, about a billion euros. This fine is is $2.7 billion, 2.4 billion euros. So it, it is it is significant. But I think, you know, the fine, all things considered, you know, Google has ninety billion dollars in cash or something like that. I mean, it's it's the uh, there is a a note sent around. Oh, you know that it's only three dollars. It's only the equivalent of like three dollars on the stock price or something, which is like nine hundred or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so relatively speaking, the fine is relative to past fines. It's huge relative to Google. It's not that huge at all, which I think gets to gets at the core of some of the challenges in this space. If you were to tell Google you know, X number of years ago that you are going to have to pay a, you know, $2.7 billion fine in 2017. But in the meantime, you can have this fabulously profitable business and this massive run up in your stock price to the, to the point where you're worth, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars, you have $90 billion in the bank. I mean, are they going to say no? I mean, of course not. Everyone, everyone would take that bet all day long. I guess the question is, is this the last one? Is this the only jurisdiction? And is this the only, uh, is this the only, well, let's, for, for one of a better term, product that one of these jurisdictions is focusing on? I think, I think the EU said at the bottom of their press release that they're considering actions with regard to other Google products or properties. And I, I think this also paves the way for other jurisdictions to start to consider similar behavior. And then it starts to be, yeah, this might be $3, but it, it these $3 could sure start to add up after a while. I, I do think so. But before we get to that and sort of thinking about the long-term consequences, which I think is a huge deal, and that's actually what, what I'm what I was writing about when we began this conversation is to kind of step back. And there's lots of things, sort of background that's really critical to this. There's background of the case specifically. There's also sort of the background of why do we have antitrust? What are monopolies? And I think aggregation theory, I know we've talked about it a million times, but it's something that is so critical to this case and sort of why it matters broadly. That's worth sort of reiterating it a little bit. So yeah. uh, so, so forgive us. We're going to do a little bit of background, but I think it's really important for this case. Yeah, I think so too. So why do we have antitrust? We talked about antitrust a little bit the, the past couple episodes that people talk about antitrust as being regulation, but in, in many respects, it's a very fundamentally different sort of regulation than I call, say, red tape regulation, where red tape regulation is like, rules and and processes you have to follow and permits you have to get and all those sorts of things which which you know with everything there's a balance and what's right or what's wrong but obviously that you can come up with lots of examples where that's important and necessary but the sort of downside of red tape regulation the, the positive side is usually safety consumer welfare things like that the downside is you know that you might limit new business creation or or hiring or or economic growth and expansion. And these are topics we've kind of talked about several times in in the last several months. Right. This is where I won't raise Uber. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So antitrust is, is is on the opposite side, where antitrust is really about when companies become too dominant, become become too large. It's it's interesting because this this almost goes back to one of the fundamentals of capitalism that I think people forget about all too often, which is keeping capitalism aligned with benefit to society. I think it's so easy to get mixed up with the proxy, which is capitalism equals profit equals good, and that's all that matters. And 
antitrust is actually one of the instances where conceptually everyone steps back from that and recognizes actually profit just in and of itself isn't enough. What you need is benefit to society more more generally and and where you get in monopolistic situations or situations where a company can abuse a position of market power, they can generate profits in a way that isn't good for society. And that's another one of the reasons why I think this comes up so often is given the focus of our podcast is on tech's impact on society and the way that these companies become so dominant. This is like a really interesting point of making sure this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of society, making sure that these companies are acting in society's best interests. And that's why this particular – this is why tech is so fascinating in this respect. And this is where the sort of the the aggregation theory angle comes in. The sort of core precept underlying aggregation theory is this idea that we've gone from a world of scarcity to a world of abundance. Mm. And in this world of abundance, there's zero distribution costs or minimal distribution costs, relatively speaking. There's minimal transaction costs. And, and what happens in this world of abundance, the companies that actually matter are the ones that – are closest to the consumers and they're close to the consumers, not by sort of restricting, like delivering scarce goods, but by organizing and delivering on this abundant information in a way that's usable and approachable. So, so they win by having a better user experience. It's just a better way. It's just, it's easier to handle a Google search box than is to handle the sprawling internet where stuff's everywhere and it's impossible to manage. And what happens is once you get a sort of critical mass of people, well, all the suppliers of that content, all the suppliers of that abundance, they need access to customers as well. So what they do is they basically align themselves with the the aggregator that has the hold on consumers, and they make their products fit into a little box so that it, is, so that it will be served up by the aggregator. And that makes the aggregator better. It makes it a superior service. You get a virtuous cycle where by being better, they get more end users. When they have more end users, they gain more supplier power. When they have more supplier power, they have a better product such that they, as they get more end users. And you get this virtuous cycle. And because of there's such an advantage that goes to being first and to mm. being better, that the natural end state of a market governed by aggregation theory is monopoly. Like that's just where you would expect things to end up. That positive feedback loop is is the critical part of it, and yeah, I, I, I like to bring it to life, like we see it in so many instances. Whether it's Google with search results, once they start getting, once they start getting good, people start going there. They get more data, and then you start to see it on the advertising side. Like advertisers don't want to have to list on a hundred different platforms, and they have most of the users, and and therefore advertisers are going there, and it just all these loops start building up, and they become impossible to surmount. It, even if you have, I mean, Microsoft tried to surmount it in in search, like they tried to throw all those resources at it and create a new engine, but it's just not good enough. Like once that once that momentum momentum starts there's just no pulling it back and then you see it in other instances like netflix like getting data on what people like to watch and getting that rich data and then starting to be be able to use that data in order to green light shows that other people just wouldn't have the data that would generate the insights to know exactly the types of shows that people really like and where there aren't enough where there isn't enough supply all these instances where being close to the consumers and getting that positive feedback loop enables more growth, which then puts them further and further ahead. 
Right, and this is why I said last week that networks are the new monopolies. Mm. And, and, and what's critical to understand is these are just as much, if not more powerful than the old monopolies that survived or that thrived, I should say, by controlling supply. And this is something that I think is re- – people are starting to wake up to this a little bit, but I still saw yesterday in reaction to this article, I say, how can you say that Google's a monopoly? It's a very – that was the word, a fragile monopoly. Someone can just go somewhere else. They can just use something else. And why would they? <laughs> That's the problem. The sort of academic theory of monopoly is that a monopoly provider has no sort of motivation and push to deliver a superior product. And so that's mm-hmm. why people hate their cable companies. They hate their telecom providers and all those sorts of things because they're winning by virtue of having a natural mon- or having a natural monopoly by reasons of infrastructure, for example. Mm-hmm. They've actually dug up all, all the cable lines and strung them all to their homes, and that gives them a down position. And they don't need to have good customer service. Why? So why, where's the motivation? Where Where is the push to do better? And that's a problem, right? So there's deadweight loss. There's deadweight loss not just in the pricing of monopoly, which I – we discussed a few weeks ago and I wrote about in in about Facebook but there's deadweight loss in terms of sort of the the experience and it just sucks like people hate all the monopoly providers in people's lives are the same companies that are at the bottom of sort of customer satisfaction surveys right and you contrast that to the tech companies where people are opting in because it's that much better or because i mean i i would i would push back against that person who said you can just go somewhere else like let's take facebook for example let's go find a social network that gives me update updates on my friends like just go to friendster is that what they're suggesting like obviously that's a more extreme example but the way these products are evolving one gets so good and and it has these positive feedback loops. And then, yeah, you can technically go to a different property. You could go to a different search engine. But the resources that Google has to deploy because they have they have all the advertisers there. They're making all the money. They get better at search. They improve their algorithm. They buy the, they, they're able to afford the best engineers on their payroll. And the people who are most excited about this kind of problem want to go work there because like that's where the cutting edge stuff happens. And then you get more consumers and then it just keeps snowballing and snowballing. Yeah, you can type in bing.com, but nobody does. Well, it's not just that. It's data. Data, 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 data. And we, I mean, data is the most important mm. currency of, of, that, that, that these companies have. It is so powerful. You own all the data. You, you, you can own the decision making. You can own mm-hmm. every, like, it's just so much about it. And like, this is all these companies are playing the same game. Google is, it has the most data about, about search and the people who are searching. Facebook has mm-hmm. the most data about social. Amazon has the most data about shopping. Netflix has the most data about viewing. And this creates this, this virtuous cycle, again, it's not just an economic thing. And, and so much so much analysis, I mean, this is how we started Shitechi, right? And this is how we started this podcast. My making the point that saying that the iPhone is ripe for disruption is to focus too much on the numbers and not enough on the experiential aspect mm. that is critical when the buyers are the users, right? It's the mm-hmm. same thing here. You cannot do a fundamental analysis of Google's power. And this, I see so many people who are pro-antitrust making this mistake. You can't do a honest assessment of Google's power, of Facebook's power, of Amazon's power, of all these companies' power, unless you take seriously the user experience. Because this is the thing. I talked about how companies like Comcast have a terrible user experience because they have no motivation to provide it. 
and that's because when it comes to Comcast, their entire product is the cable lines themselves, right? Customer service is something that's labeled, that's ladled, ladled, ladled on top. So, so it, it needs motivation to do a good job. The issue with Google and with Facebook and all these companies is that when you consider the totality of the user experience, again, user experience is not just user interface. It's like, yeah. do I get the best search results? Are my friends and family on it? Does it have the products that I want? Can I count on the fact they'll arrive in two days without a hassle? All that is a part of the a part of the user experience. And what is so critical to understand about these companies is that the reason they are powerful is because they have a superior user experience. The user experience is endemic to the power. It's not layered on top like Comcast. What was the key to Comcast power? It's owning the cable lines. What was key to like standard oil's powers, owning the railroads? What was key to AT&T's powers, owning the telephone wires? Those are all infrastructure-based, distribution-based monopolies, and you can understand why customer experience was terrible. These new tech monopolies are at a very fundamental level, driven by the user experience. People go to them because the user experience is better, and by virtue of going to them, the experience gets even better, and they can't help but be better. Yeah, I think the core insight in what you just said is that people are somehow, and it may be just the term, but people are dismissive of of that concept on the basis of the language. It's almost like user experience and they equate it with user interface, but it's the ability to get the job done. It's the quality. I mean, it's almost like the fundamental quality of the product and it is unreplicable. You cannot replicate the product because of all these positive feedback loops, in particular, like you said, the data, it is impossible to replicate it. And as a result, they get in this position where they're effectively a monopoly. And this is what it makes this entire thing so difficult to unpack and, and deal with. And, and again, I think people on both sides are doing them a disservice by not grappling with these issues seriously. At the end of the day, what is the point of antitrust regulation. Why do we want to go in and limit these companies and take forceful action that's not market-based to change their behavior or stop them doing whatever they're doing that we degree to be bad? Well, I, I think it comes back to the the conversation right at the start, which is like ensuring that the way that uh, that capitalism and, and where companies are generating profit, there's like, that's, that's closely aligned with benefit to society. And uh, I, I guess the question becomes, are there instances where if if you get in this monopoly position, that's not the case, in particular because there are things that could have been created that are not being created anymore as a result of their dominant position in the market? Right. That's, I mean, that is sort of the, the answer. And just to you know, give more context to this, is the U.S. generally – I mean, in theory, everyone is in favor of the consumer, right? That's the whole point. But you have to use proxies. And the proxy the U.S. has chosen to use for the last 35 years or so since the Reagan administration, and it's pretty sort of settled at this point, although people are trying to change it, is this idea uh, that price is the best proxy for consumer benefit. And if the price does not increase or if the price becomes cheaper, even better, then it's obviously great for consumers. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, there are criticisms of it, and we're we're probably going to get into those. But you can understand why folks back in the industrial area 
era rather picked that as as the as the measure like it is a quantifiable metric it's easy to compare and it matters it's 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 it really does matter if if a company has a monopoly and it's pushing up prices that really sucks for people it's i understand why why people picked it in defense of it back then well, well not just that but also it sort of it restrains the regulators too right you can't really go you have yeah. to actually sh- show evidence that there is something going on as opposed to just deciding that this is a monopoly which you know we will get to in a moment when it comes to the EU, EU sort of decision here and and so, yeah, you can see you, – yeah, you're right. There is an argument for it. The problem, as it should be obvious, is that it, when it comes to services like Google and Facebook in particular, the, where they're they're offering it for free, by definition, <laughs> they can never do anything wrong, right? And so you had this situation where Google, for example, and we – again, another topic I'm sure we'll touch, but they were doing like local search and they were like scraping reviews from like Yelp and TripAdvisor and stuff like that. Mm. And so in this case, Google had an inferior user experience and they were making their experience better not by accruing data but by stealing it for all intents and purposes. And the FTC investigated and ultimately chose not to prosecute Google in part because there was no no price-based consumer harm. Which is, this is like, this is exactly the articulation. This is the perfect example of why that regulation or that view of regulation, no, while it might have worked in the industrial era, doesn't work in the information era. Because if you're a company thinking about starting or creating a new product or service where there is consumer benefit, for example, what Yelp or TripAdvisor has done, and you see that in the United States, uh, a, a, the big hairy competitor and also the way in which almost all your customers are going to find you or, or a large proportion of uh, of them are going to find your your results your information they can just take what you've done run with it and monetize it themselves what incentive do you have to go create another one of these things it's it's completely chilling to all these kinds of new innovations, these new companies that could bubble up. It's terrible. Right. And, and this is much closer to sort of the European European Commission view of antitrust, that instead of looking at the consumer benefit with price as a proxy, they look at the effect on competition. And so it, behavior can be illegal. Again, to be a monopoly is not illegal, but to leverage that monopoly in, in ways that harm competition are are illegal according to the European Commission and so had they taken up say the Yelp case which I wish they would have because to me it was a pretty it was it was egregious behavior by Google you can the problem is it don't look at price just look at the fact that competition is being stifled like they're they're destroying their competition by by stealing the data it's it's kind of funny uh, almost uh the different approaches uh, I it's it's crazy how well the European Union, or at least that principle of of maintaining competition, translates into the information era. Uh, whereas the the price one clearly doesn't work because, like you just said, if if I mean Google and Facebook are free to the consumer, it, with that basically means they have a free pass to do whatever they want. This idea of looking behind to see. Uh, is ah uh, is there a competition being promoted? Looking at the supply rather than the demand side, it actually at, at a high level works pretty well. So I I 
tended to think the same. And I wrote last year when I wrote antitrust and aggregation that th- exactly that. I said the, the European approach is actually much more suited to sort of di- digital monopolies. But this, mm. this case, <laughs> this case has thrown me for a loop because when I actually dig into the details, mm. I get a lot more uncertain, you know, when it comes to the actual applicability of this sort of thinking. So, I mean, I guess we've we've gone we've got long enough actually talking about about Google Shopping. Mm. So <laughs> we put link we'll put links in the show notes. There's a very readable press release and fact sheet that kind of recounts the case against Google. And basically, the argument is that Google had shopping products starting with Frugal and then another one, uh, Google Product Search, and then the recent one is called Google Shopping. They say that Google has, I'm quoting, systematically given prominent placement to its own comparison shopping service. And two, has demoted rival comparison shopping services in its search results. So and thus therefore Google Google is Google is guilty. And so just to just to be clear about what's happening here, if you go on Google and you search for what's something you 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 shop for, James? Uh, let's let's buy a pair of Nike sneakers. Everyone uses the shoes example. Uh, so James puts in Nike sneakers. So if you search for Nike sneakers, you get like six pictures of Nike sneakers with like reviews and and prices and links to them. And you, there's a little little line, probably too small, that says sponsored. Uh, and those links, just uh, I did a search for Nike sneakers, are from Zappos, uh, Nike itself, uh, Zappos, Midwest Tennis, Finish Line, and Zappos.com. You do more on Google, you can go to sort of comparison page. There's also ads on this page, uh, one from Nike, one from Zappos, one from Foot Locker, like traditional search ads where it's a, it's a blue link like the rest of them. Mm. Uh, then the the organic search results, and this is probably the, the, the more interesting part, is Nike.com, 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 Footlocker.com, Zappos.com, ShoeCarnival.com, Nordstrom.com, Wired.com, 538.com, and Complex.com. 538.com? Yeah, you see, uh, it's about uh, the resale market for sneakers. Ah, uh, I was like buying sneakers from Nate Silver. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> here's here's the here. So so the issue that the that the EU has is says oh the comparison service is Google Shopping is right there at the top. It's those six pictures that I talked about. And oh by the way, in the results, there's no other comparison shopping services. So do you have a problem with that, James? Uh, it's you know I. This may just be because I've witnessed the evolution of Google way back from when I first used it in 2000 or whenever it was. And I remember it was just a general purpose search engine. It was like you type text in and it went out onto the web and it matched strings. And based on how many links and other elements that were based in the algorithm, it would return those results to you. And I also remember with excitement the first time that one of these shopping algorithm uh the the shopping comparison sites popped up because like i was i i like to buy things on the web like computer stuff or whatever and this was fantastic like it would go off and it would crawl whereas google didn't do any of this at first these sites now did i could type in technology products like i was buying hard drives to back up and whatever and i could get the best price find it from the site maybe get reviews about the possible places where you actually search for technology use the search term technology products yes i was i i was trying to think back to what i was buying <laughs> way back when and i knew it was tech zip and i just drive. couldn't remember what yeah zip drive or or like like external hard drives whatever it might be and it was it these things were fantastic um i it's i guess the 
the question is, it's converged in a way that doesn't surprise me. And in fact, I'm grateful for, for all the reasons we talked about from a user experience perspective. I don't want to have to think about different search engines for different things. But what that was, was different from a traditional general purpose search engine. It wasn't a case of like the best result was on top. It was a specific use case and I could reorder the results I could I could adjust by price or like total price, including shipping or re, or based on the review of the seller or so on and so forth. It was different. And Google came along and they did. By virtue of the fact that they were dominant in search, they started to they started to do exactly the same thing and at first it was just the frugal link and then it was starting to put the the links and the and the images and the direct links to the products on that first page and it was also different in the sense that no longer was this based on Google crawling they were actually asking retailers to submit uh, submit their products and how much they were willing to pay and what the price was and so on and so forth as the basis. So it does feel like a different product. And I guess the question is, it's a better experience. Like now I just, it's the one place. It's still back at Google and everything I need is right there. But for those companies that did invest in developing these and these shopping comparison engines in the same way that Yelp created all these local search results, I, I kind of feel for them because they got shafted as a result of what happened. So that's a great story. Uh, the, e, the European <laughs> Commission would agree with your take. And the problem is, and we'll get to the sort of the, the reality of this decision in a moment, but the problem mm. is for Google fundamentally is that the regulator gets to make their own definitions. And this kind of mm. gets to the problems, like the advantages of the U.S. approach being based on price, was that it was a lot mm, harder yes. to do that. And I think this is a this is a classic example. And frankly, this whole case, yeah, I went into this case expecting to agree more than disagree, and and I just have mm. a lot of problems with it. So one, general search. Why mm. when I, if what does general actually mean? It seems to me that the European Commission has decided that general search is ten blue links. But wouldn't general search be any kind of media, any kind of content, pictures, maps, links? It sure seems to me Google is actually moving towards general search and away from text search. If they want Google to do simply text search, then they should use better language. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah, that's a definitely a fair criticism, and I've adopted their language. But yeah, I was thinking about it in terms of text search. Well, right. well but this is the thing. Like you, this is the power of the regulator, right? You you adopt yeah, their totally. language, you even realize you're doing it. Number yep. number two. If you search for shopping comparison site, guess what the results are? I'm sure they shopping are comparison shopping. sites, and none of them are Google. If you want to go to a shopping comparison site, Google will direct you to a shopping comparison site. The issue is that the European Commission seems bothered by the fact that Google is actually answering my search query. When I type in Nike sneakers, I want to see Nike sneakers. If I want to see a price comparison site, I would go to a. I would search for a price comparison site. Why should it be that when I search for sneakers, I get my answer is actually not an answer? It's another way to answer the question that I originally asked. 
So this is interesting. And I, I guess that I would, I would wind back to Yelp. Now, there, were a cu- there are a couple of things that are interesting in terms of the Google and Yelp thing. I, I think obviously most people would agree that Yelp just, uh, Google just scraping Yelp's data is wrong. But putting that aside, if Google decided that it wanted to get into local business search and it prioritized its own results at the expense of Yelp's or advertised them in some way, uh, in this, or gave them special treatment in some way, and then deprioritized all other local search results. Would that same argument apply? Would you then say, "Oh, well, if you search for a uh, local restaurant finder or something like that, and Yelp was at the top of the list, that would be okay?" Because it it feels like there's some degree of similarity, right? So, I it is a very it's a it's a fantastic question. It, 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 I think the difference comes down to. What is the customer looking for? So if they're looking for, say, say they're looking for a restaurant because they want to know the website or they want to know like its hours of operation or something like that. Mm. Uh, uh, to the extent that Google shows that information, again, with the caveat that scraping and stealing is very problematic at a minimum, mm. I think that's fine. When it If Google were prioritizing, if someone's looking for restaurant reviews and Google is prioritizing their inferior content over, say, Yelp, which, by the way, they are, which is why I've always thought this is a much more compelling place to start. That would be that, – that's very problematic because Google is not – by virtue of Monopoly, they sort of have a duty to give users – the best results and they're not giving users the best results right and they're actually starting to get into that sort of comcast territory where they're taking for granted the user experience because they can mm. aff- they, they, they they can afford to the difference i guess the problem i have with shopping is when you're searching for a product like i want the product right like i i want to buy the product i want information about the about the product to me the there's a limited number of products in the world it's almost like amazon the difference between like produce and books you know what there's just a difference in kind and requires different approaches and different ways of thinking about it if i like if i want shoes i i want to see the shoes i don't if i wanted a shopping service to compare different prices it feels like that's something more I could I could search for. Maybe I'm drawing too fine of a distinction, but to me, it feels it feels meaningful. With the, with the, with the clear caveat that I do have a real problem with Google and and the Yelp stuff. But again, it comes back to the user experience. Which one is actually making the user experience worse? I see that in the case of Yelp. I have trouble seeing it in the case of uh, of the shopping stuff, especially. I mean, remember when this came about? Like Google's results were going to crap because there's all these comparisons. That's all the results you got. You never actually got it the information that you wanted because you just want to know about the product. Yeah, I mean, I it's it's a it's an interesting question uh around the distinction between it and I I guess I I see what you're coming at which is like trying to get at original content versus trying to make a purchase potentially. It's like facts versus like original content, right? Like shoes are shoes. Like you, you you're really going to show them so them you're not. But that gets to sort of the, the the second part of this that I had a real problem with. The fact that they're ads, I mean like that's the like that's the business model. The business model of search engines is to show results that are not organic, that are paid for uh, alongside or organic results. And I guess I to me it feels it's fundamentally different that this is an ad unit as opposed to something 
that Google is presenting as organic fact. And this is the other distinction with, with the sort of local stuff. When you search on Google for a local restaurant and it shows you its reviews as if those are the best source of reviews when they're not, like that is a Google inferior product. It is promoting over Yelp to what gain? Basically to gain market, to, to leverage into more market power. In this case, they're advertisements. Now, I, I can, I, I'm happy to hear arguments that Google is way too, uh, way too, what's the word, deceptive about that these are advertisements. I mean, that link in text is gray and it's really small, but there's still advertisements. And do we? is it wrong for a business, monopoly or not, to monetize? No. I mean, I don't think anybody's arguing that. I mean, I, I guess... Well, they are though. Well, I, I don't think their argument is you're making money out of it. I think their argument is there were lots of businesses doing this and uh, or, or doing what appears to be the same thing, which is comparison shopping, which is the impression at least that people get when they see those results. Like they might not come to the conclusion that ads. It's like, oh, here's a selection of places in which I could buy. And there were businesses that existed to do uh, at least apparently the same thing. And it's much uh, Google's prioritizing their own version of that against. And I guess what you're making the case is that these are actually different things. Yeah, your point is a fair one, though, that the way that it's ex experienced, I mean, it's almost using my own argument against me, the way that it's experienced by the customer is actually more relevant than the fact. And I think that that's a fair point. That, that advertisement text is very, very small, and it looks like it's a comparison service. Or sorry, the, the text says sponsored. It looks like a comparison service. And so I think that is that is a fair pushback. But the final point is sort of the the overarching one. I hinted at a few a, a few minutes ago. To what extent is the customer experience worse? I get the argument with Yelp or whatever it might be that they had better reviews and that by you know Google stealing their content or Google putting its own content above it, that it was presenting an inferior product as a superior one and thus limiting innovation and in the long run hurting hurting consumers, et cetera, et cetera. The real problem I have with this argument, and maybe it will come out in the future when they release their like a full report or something, which I'm not sure if they if they, if they will or not. What was the better experience that was killed by Google? Or is it just purely theoretical? This it might have been this way, which again, I'm I, I, I'm favorable to. Like I we've made this argument in this podcast about the foregone opportunity costs of things mm. all the time. So it is a fair argument to make. But at the end of the day, I just come back to like, why wouldn't I want Google search to show me the product? Like wh why wouldn't I want to have it all on one screen, particularly on mobile. Why would I want to have to dig through links to, to find what I'm actually looking for? But I, I, maybe it relates a little bit to what we just said, which is I, I think the, the inferior experience actually relates a little bit to how Americans would, uh, the, the American system would view it, which is like, if this really, if we're, so we're either going to categorize it as an ad or we're going to categorize it as product comparison. And if we're going to say it's product comparison, people are paying more as a result because the, they're, I'm assuming they're not getting the best price. Instead, they're getting results based on who bid the highest and they think they're getting product comparisons. Um, if it's, 
if it's they're getting ads, well, why aren't underneath there some equivalent of what is being advertised? So, so traditional Google results would show ads and then would show organic search results. This is not showing the equivalent organic search results underneath uh, underneath the, the Google ads. It's not showing you the five pairs of shoes that are sponsored and then the five pairs of shoes in the best price. They're just showing you the five pairs of shoes that are sponsored and then you go into text results, right? Yeah, but those those links are about the shoes. Like all, all those links on your Nike sneaker search were very relevant to to Nike sneakers. Like there was I had no issue with any of your organic searches. And I come back to if I wanted a price comparison, I would search for price comparison. Your point about no one searches for like restaurant comparison tool or whatever is is a fair one. I think a good argument. And I guess just sort of the 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 big picture that I come out with is. The, the ad part matters too, though, because like, where does this stop? Mm. One of Google's biggest moneymakers is travel. Now, there's two parts of travel. One is the fact that travel, Google has its own Google travel service, right? Which is problematic mm. for all the reasons that we just basically articulated. Are they putting forward an inferior product in front of people when other stuff, you know, could be better? By the way, I actually think Google's flight comparison is superior to everything else for what it's worth. One. And then two, Google makes a ton of money off of advertisements for travel. Like that's it's, again, I think I just said it's one of their biggest money makers. Is that bad? Is it a bad thing that there are travel search results ahead of organic search results from theoretically better providers? I, I mean, again, I, I just this bit that about it being an ad, and I put this in the article. This is the part I, I can accept your arguments, but I think this ad bit is a is a big deal. Like, is that if that's a problem? You're basically saying Google's entire business model is a problem. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think anyone is saying that. I don't think. But the, but the the EU decision didn't even acknowledge that these are advertisements. Like it, it just it just said that it's it's a it's a Google shopping service, and like Google's not even pretending that this is Google giving you its best results. It says it's sponsored. So I re- I remember the original version of this product, which was Frugal, and it was it was a product comparison search. And I'm not sure what happened with the second iteration, which is the Google product uh, search tool. Now we're shopping, and we just ran through a little experiment where I thought that perhaps the rationale was you don't like the first three results that Google shows you on its homepage, and you click shop for Nike sneakers. And I was going to say, look at all this comparison shopping and how Google is prioritizing it. And you pointed out to me, and I was actually quite surprised because normally I'm pretty good at picking this up. Merchant links are sponsored. It is literally just a page of ads, which is kind of um, which kind of shocks me. It's like it's product search based not uh, uh, it's it's based on ads and you can do filtering and stuff but i i wonder if part of the reason why the eu focused on this was because originally this hasn't wasn't how the product was positioned and they've evolved it and i don't, I don't know like it, <laughs> you're, you're still you're still picking yourself off the floor that these are this is a page of ads well, it's a page of ads that you can you can sort by like shoe size and style and color. It's kind of mind boggling. Like I was not expecting these to be ads, right? And, and like, if anything, there's a there's a case to be made about like about you know the fact that it's not clear that they're ads, right? I mean, it should it should probably be clear. But at the but at the end of the day, I mean, Google is basically charging a fee for lots of merchants to put their product in front of people who have declared an intent to buy, right? 
if mm. you think about it, is that really much different than Amazon charging merchants a fee to put their products in front of people who are declaring an, an intent to buy? If anything, the 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 service that this is competing with is not a comparison services. It's 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 Amazon or another merchant like that that especially a merchant platform. Like this is a merchant platform. It's a customer discovery platform for merchants to to get customers. That that totally makes sense. I agree with that. I don't think the problem is the the way that it has. The way that you just described it, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's the way that it evolved and the fact that there were sites out there that that performed a service of helping you find certain things. And now Google or the case is being made that Google is preferencing its own specific version of this above what other people had already done. Yeah, that, and that's basically the case. I mean, in some respects, we're arguing is a sort of moot point. The case is what it is. It's been decided. Mm. And more than yeah. that, as you said at the beginning, the they were very explicit about saying this is precedent and going forward. And so in what part I'm that makes me very concerned, just as a, a, a neutral observer, this idea of advertisements can get you in antitrust trouble. Like that seems a little problematic. That said – as we sort of just discussed the last five, 10 minutes in our little adventure on Google Shopping, <laughs> you could argue that this is the line between advertisement and shopping comparison service is so thin as to effectively be meaningless. And that that, that won't be the case in, 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 when it comes to travel, for example, or, or, or things like that. Right. I think that's fair. Well, it, it's fair. But at the end of the day, like we are st- – I'm a little nervous about, you know, drawing – these sorts of lines, particularly again, and, and this is just really brought back to me the the sort of conundrum of antitrust, particularly when you're you're dealing with a situation where the customer experience is is arguably better. I mean, again, getting searching for shoes and getting a bunch of comparison shopping services when that's not what I actually wanted, that sucked. And and people who have been using Google for years can remember this. Like about 10 years ago, like Google search was having a real problem. And they and they re they had to rehaul everything because these services were so focused on being the top Google search result. And how do they how do these services actually work? We just spun this beautiful tale of innovation and whatnot. How do they actually work? They have good SEO, so you get the top at Google, and they get affiliate fees by driving people to a merchant. They're pure middlemen, just 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 taking a skim off purchases, which is like Google is just almost being more upfront about it. Like this is an upfront, we're going to take an affiliate fee service. Yeah, I yeah, I mean you you've you've got no argument for me there. Well, and this is and this is uh, it's why uh, it's why I'm so frustrated by this case. Like I uh, Google is a monopoly and I think this was an important thing in this case to define a monopoly in the way we just talked about. They define a monopoly as having these sort of network effects and having this data advantage that that accrues to itself. That was important and that was correct. So they correctly defined Google as a monopoly. I just I wish that this case I'm just very nervous about Google being penalized for giving consumers what they want. Like consumers aren't searching for a price comparison service. They're searching for shoes. That that is a problem I have a problem with. That general search is being defined in such a limited retrograde way. It's a it's like a, a perfect example of how regulation freezes you at a moment in time and doesn't let you innovate going forward. Do we want search results forever and ever to be 10 blue links? Is that yeah, really no, optimal? There's no one that would agree with that. And the the way the, in which the, it's the, evolved, the commission does. 
Yeah, that's I'm, that's I, the okay. implication of this. The implication of this Touché. is that Google can only serve ten blue links with with ads that look like the ten blue links. Yes, yes. And the problem. No, you're right. And this is the fundamental issue, and why I'm so like I, honestly, I, I've been on this sort of an antitrust sort of thing for a few months in particular. But this man, this really brought me back to reality real quick because I would prefer a Google that gives me answers. I would prefer a Google that doesn't make me quick into multiple links, particularly on mobile. I don't want to have to fish around and figure out what the answer is. I just want the answer. And the European Commission is has basically decided that that is a bad thing. And I can understand why they decided it. You've been a phenomenal devil's advocate and and put me on my heels several times because it is a good argument. But at the end of the day, I would rather just get some damn shoes. Yeah, no, I understand. And uh, and and not to replay the argument that works, but uh, like if you extend that argument out, though, it's okay for Google to come along and and do the exact same thing to Yelp because from a customer experience perspective it's improved and like i i don't i don't know how to i don't know how to balance these things because what is what is necessarily in the short term best interest of the customer experience which is for google to improve its search results and to trample over whatever it is along the way to get them there isn't necessarily in the long term best interest of the customer experience because that could result in innovation being chilled and i agree with you this instance doesn't feel good but like getting that balance right going forward is going to be so incredibly hard yeah I, we're actually ultimately on the on the exact same page i agree with you like i value the focus on competition i think it is ultimately accrues the consumer in the long run and i try to convey this in this article which it seems to be mostly interpreted as me bashing the eu i wasn't at all actually i was in many respects impressed by this decision particularly the definition of monopoly which i think is spot on it really captured the new kind of monopoly that there is it just oh why did they pick this particular case it just seems to have picked the most consumer unfriendly counterexample, like these spammy sites that that try to take over your search results and to when the Google product is an ad, so it feels like you're attacking their business model instead of attacking like the, the quality of their search. Again, if Google is giving you worse search results to help themselves, I have a big problem with that. If Google is giving you an ad that's worse than search results, well, I expect that. That's the reason why it's an ad. You know what I mean? It's the, like those two factors made me dislike and disagree with the EC here. But at the end of the day, from a broader, big picture theoretical perspective, I actually agree. I just, I wish they hadn't picked this case. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I agree. I agree with that. There's a there's something interesting here though as a as a broader perspective of and we we kind of teased this at the start around how jurisdictions are going to deal with uh, deal with these winner take all type effects and monopolies and I actually wonder I mean on one hand you could just you could just approach it from a traditional taxation policy though uh, the the um, the companies have proved pretty adept at navigating those uh, the, those elements. I actually wondered when I read this case whether this is going to be one of the ways in which jurisdictions approach jurisdictions approach this this type winner take all aggregation theory effect, which is actually antitrust becomes more and more the mechanism of which they they attempt to rebalance and 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 
ensure that there's competition. Because one of the other notes that was mentioned in the, uh, if I, if I'm not mistaken, in the press release is that any firm that was damaged as a result of, um, of uh, a dominant market position by a company can also sue for damages as well. And I wonder whether this is some this is some way in which balance is restored because the traditional mechanisms of competition and the traditional ways in which you try and counter monopolies just aren't going to work any further. Yeah, it is interesting. I am going to revisit this subject sooner rather than later, thinking about like what I mean, the problem here is, again, I, I made this case at the beginning, Google would do this, make this choice if they knew they're going to get sued a million times out of a million, right? They, they've made mm. they've made billions and billions of dollars at the cost of right. 2.7 billion, right? It, it, it's been well worth it. So even if you think that the EU view of antitrust is better than the American one, and I, I actually agree with you in digital markets, it generally is, you still have the problem that it's way too late. It comes it, like by the time... Mm it actually can be acted upon like it's already over in some respects. Yeah, totally. And so thinking about how to handle that going forward, I think is interesting. I'm a little worried about this, you know, you can now sue Google on this basis sort of thing. I'm sure Google's have to pay all these folks off, but the, but at the end of the day, I mean, there's a very thin line between you can sue Google for being anti-competitive versus you can sue the product that was better than you and kicked your rear end. Yeah, and and, yep. and that makes me very. That, this is kind of the big bit of discomfort I have about this. You know, the discomfort I have about the EU approach is it gives a lot of leeway to regulators to define to define terms to define competition. Right? This rests on defining price comparison as a separate product than general search, which de- rests on defining general search in a very constrained way, and that's that's problematic. One, and then two, like. Again, to your point, and I completely agree, in the long run, what is the consumer welfare? But you're still harming the consumer welfare in the short run. So you better be pretty sure you're making the right decision there. And again, why this case? Like, there's so many problems with this case. You know what I mean? Like, and I just feel like there's not enough appreciation about the real, the real potential harms here. It's very easy to see this sort of antitrust act, action go horribly wrong because there's so there's all this you are actually harming consumers in the short run i i i totally agree and i i i guess i would bring it back to where we started which is i i don't necessarily think that and not that we're about doing banking type analysis or picking stocks but i don't feel like this is accurately factored into the market in terms of it's it's like these companies are unstoppable there's no way in which they can be stopped and for again from a product and a business model perspective for all the reasons that we've talked about i think that's absolutely true but if there's I, there are folks who are probably still with us and they've been like this feels like a very detailed and technical discussion of antitrust and anti anti competitive behavior and we've dived in deep but this is critical to be able to to understand this to predict how it's going to play out because this area is going to be so important as these these tech firms become more and more dominant as a result of these forces and figuring out how jurisdictions respond is going to be absolutely essential to predicting whether these companies will be successful and what it's going to what they're going to look like in the future and i don't think people have an appreciation of just how much this topic in particular could completely reshape tech's landscape 
As always, our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring this episode of Exponent. Oh, by the way, I am going back to Wisconsin next week. So oh. usually we've just taken – well, we've done both. I think we kind of did partial summers. And we took summer off completely last year. I think we'll try to do one or two, but uh, episodes are going to be sporadic at best for the, for the next month, month and a half or so. So this slightly long and very dry anti-competitive <laughs> yes. episode is going to have to make have to last for a while, guys. I hope that's okay. It's the same thing for my site. I have an article on antitrusting at the top of my site. It's just it's going to sit there for a while. <laughs> Such Ship of the life. Amazon one back on top. Yeah, there you go. All right, sounds good. I'll, I will talk to you perhaps next week, perhaps later this summer. Sounds good, mate. Safe travels. Yep. Bye bye.